0: Hey everybody, on today's episode, Jason and I will be talking about the Women's World Cup and the USA's 13-goal performance over Thailand, and maybe we'll even go into some tangents later on. Enjoy.
1: From the campus of Utah State University, we bring you the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast.
2: Uh, there's there's just a lot to unpack with the whole thirteen to zero blasting massacre, yeah, and it mostly comes from people not understanding how soccer works and how soccer blowouts of this magnitude work because you know a thirteen zero you know you and I both know we know soccer thirteen zero blowout in soccer is like a one hundred to zero right blowout in football or you know a sixty point blowout in NBA or maybe worse.
0: So those ones you only see in high school when somebody right. really lights into them. Yeah, you see the score 13-0 <laughs> in a baseball game, and you're like, oh, that team got obliterated. Now picture yeah. that in soccer where a 5 to nothing is an obliteration. So just put that by a factor of 5. Yeah. So people say, well, that's unsportsmanlike. And it,
2: it's worse because it was 3-0 at halftime. Right. And it was in the second half that they really lit into them. Although if you, if you think about it a different way, the other team gives up and you just – You keep playing in soccer.
0: Well, I believe also Thailand made a substitution around the 60th, 70th minute to bring on an attacker to kind of try to force the game a little bit. And I think that obviously didn't play out in their favor. I think once they kind of switched to more of an attacking mindset and USA is just like, oh, we'll just hit you on the counterattack because you can't even get into our box right now.
2: Yeah. And that's usually how you end up getting so many goals in a a blow like this is on the counterattack. Right. You're not doing long buildups or if if you do a lot of long buildups, then it ends up being only like 8-0 instead of 13-0. It's... You know they're playing three defenders, right. and suddenly you know, you were scoring five on their four defenders. Now there's there's one less, then you know it, it gets worse. Right. Um, but the other thing is in football, you know Utah State would blow out teams by orders of magnitude almost. Mm-hmm. The thing is, in the third quarter, midway through the third quarter, you pull all of your starters and you're playing your second team guys, and that levels the playing field generally. <laughs> you know because the second second team guys on Utah State are generally about as good as the first team guys in new mexico last year that keeps the scoring down if utah state had tried as hard as they could they probably would have reached 100 a game or two right
0: um, but you can't do that in soccer yeah what do you really do yeah. what's your best option they used all three of their subs they pulled tobin heath off and somewhere around the 60th minute um they put in mallory Pugh, who i mean is still like a world-class attacker don't get me wrong um, but really doesn't have a ton of experience at the world cup stage um i'm trying to think of who their other substitutions were but i mean oh obviously they bring in carly lloyd who's older probably could be a starter for almost every nation that's in the world cup right now yeah but i mean yeah you're right what are you really going to do at that point if like if your talent pool that you're using for just your three subs you have are all top level players
2: yeah and your only other option is just stop playing soccer which as some people bring out. Pretty insulting yeah. to just stop playing. And I've been in situations, I mean, for me, I play the lowest level possible, intramural <laughs> futsal, uh, <laughs> which is like glorified indoor right. soccer. I don't know if I, uh, people probably don't even know what futsal is. Um, Maybe. So my, my glory days in futsal, I, I play goalkeeper. So, but, you know, I've been on both ends of really bad scoring. Yeah. Um, You just keep playing because I want to play. Right. And I don't want the other team to – you know, just stop playing because then I don't, I don't get to play. And as a goalkeeper, I kind of want to prove that, yeah, I gave up 15 goals in this game, but
0: I can still, still got a save or two in me, make right. a couple of impressive plays. Well, so, yeah, let's take that from a goalkeeper's perspective because it's a little bit different from every other position on the pitch. If you're a goalkeeper, like you're saying, and you've already given up, let's say, seven goals, you know, midway through the second half or whatever, you want the opportunity to make that save to kind of redeem yourself. You don't want them yeah. to just be kicking the ball around on the other side of the pitch and not even come close to you because now it just looks like you gave up seven goals didn't make one save and they're not even playing you anymore
2: yeah and and you go home and you know that you know and in that game i might go home and we lost 16 to 3 but i'm like yeah i made a couple really good saves there at the end they had that two on zero on me but i stopped it and i feel really good about that obviously we lost and i gave up probably eight or nine goals i shouldn't have given up or they were just too good and i couldn't stop them anyway but you go home in thailand if they'd have gotten one goal they'd have that have meant the world to them yeah that they didn't lose thirteen to zero, but they lost thirteen to one, was probably why they brought on that attacker. Um, but you want a chance to have some kind of redemption. You want to keep playing, even if you're not maybe trying quite as hard as if it were a zero zero game. You want some sort of redemption, and you can only get that mm-hmm. if the other team is trying.
0: Right. Well, and you saw like right after the game, I can't remember who the players were, but they went over and you know were kind of consoling the the. Um, goal and goalie for Thailand a little bit, you know, whatever possible you can say to her at that moment to make it feel any better. You just gave up 13 goals. But like, yeah. wh- wh- what do you really say? Like, we tried our best. Sorry, you didn't get any of our, stop any of our goals. But like, I mean, I think that's, it has to be the best way to display how competitive you are and how competitive you are against the other team. Yeah. And Kind of going back to the criticism, one of the things I also don't like is
2: that the people who are attacking the criticism, because it comes down to a misunderstanding. Both you and I know exactly kind of, we, we can break this down. We generally know how it went, or as much as we can. And we understand. Yeah. There are people who don't. They say, well, why did you run up the score that bad? These are people who, you know, maybe they aren't pure soccer fans
0: or know a whole lot. Maybe that, they don't have a ton of athletic experience in their background at all.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, they're they're biggest soccer exposure is their, you know, their six-year-old girl plays soccer, right. which, is, of course, they probably know 13-0 right. right. blowouts. Because yeah. you're, you're playing AYSO, <laughs> there's a 100% yeah. chance you've
0: seen a score like that.
2: But they don't fully understand, because they grew up maybe playing football or maybe zero athletic experience. They just know running up the score is a concept. Mm-hmm. Because in basketball in football, in hockey, and football and hockey, basically literally every other sport, there is a built-in mechanism to stop these kind of obliterating scores. Yes. In soccer, there is not, at least at the professional level, because you have limited subs. In high school, you can because you you get unlimited and you can sub everybody right. off. So, people who are attacking the criticism, it's like, no, it's not. They're not being sexist.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it bothers me. And there's people saying, well, would you tell that to men? You know, not to celebrate, not to try hard. I was like, we actually do tell them. You they're, know, we have all these unwritten rules about celebration in soccer, like you know, celebrating against your former team, running right. up the score. We have these in place in
0: all of the male sports. If you watch, especially I've seen it a lot in the English Premier League, if you watch, there are players who will go play against their former team, like you're mentioning. I remember Andres Townsend won an example this year because I'm a Spurs fan. He scored against Spurs and didn't even clap, didn't celebrate, and then after the game posted saying, this is why I did this. I have so much respect for the club. I was there for eight years as a youth. I mean, that's kind of what's built in the game of soccer. And like you're saying, you know, they have these little mechanisms. And even if you talk, talk about a sport like baseball, and get mm-hmm. to give the example of, you know, maybe where the, the lines of sex are in here, uh, I remember a score probably five, six years ago where a team beat the other team 30 to three in a professional MLB baseball game. And there was nothing after it written like, oh, should they have just pulled all their players in this you know midway through the game or whatever yeah. i don't think sex is a part of this and I, I don't think score should be a part of it either really i think where you might be able to make an argument is how much do you celebrate at a certain point how how far do you go in your efforts to not necessarily show up the other team in your celebrations but to you know show that this means a certain amount to you yeah. can you do that a little bit more passively maybe is the question
2: yeah it's, it's if it's the same players like Alex Morgan when she gets to her fifth goal, maybe I don't I didn't watch all of her celebrations, maybe you do a fist pump and you run down the field, right. like, Yeah, I just scored my fifth goal. It's getting old at this point. But some of these players who are scoring their first ever World Cup goal, that's where it gets iffy again because that is the pinnacle of their career yes. to this point. That's hundred percent. Let's make that clear. Yeah. And it's kind of like you know, going back to my extensive experience in soccer, playing goalkeeper. When we do, when we're on the plus side of a fifteen to three matchup, I'll go out and I'll try and score a goal, which is arguably unsportsmanlike. <laughs> but, or they'll what? Often, What's your
0: goal scoring record, Jason?
2: Um, I've got close to ten goals actually. Wow. I I don't score two on. Maybe it's, I might be make six or seven, but some of those they'll sub me off, sub me back on as a field player and then they'll try and get me a goal right. just cuz hey let's get our goalkeeper a you know a goal and then we'll, they'll maybe celebrate a little more than that 14th goal sure. where it was the guy who scored like his 7th of the day sure and so that's kind of a similar thing again it's obviously not exact cuz this is the lowest
0: possible <laughs> level of soccer <laughs> in history <laughs> juxtaposed to the highest level of (laughs) soccer in history so
2: obviously we're comparing a little bit of apples and oranges but maybe it's like a a green apple versus a red apple (laughs) right (laughs) at least i'll try and pretend that's what it is (laughs) Uh,
0: i'm pumping my futsal career everybody (laughs) (laughs) go look at uh, futsalstats.com. we can see jason's whole career
2: all my uh yeah all my stuff all my shutouts Uh, i don't think i have a shutout in futsal it's like impossible to get a shutout in futsal
0: if you have more clean sheets than your age, I will be extremely impressed. Oh no, <laughs> it's been a. I've got like one clean sheet in the last ten years. I've. I'm
2: not that great of a goalkeeper, but I'm. Not, I'm not bad either. Usually, it's just. You know, a lot of a lot of the times where I've shut out, I've only got one half. Right. Because I then went and played in the field, and then I haven't played actual like outdoor
0: soccer in probably four or five years. Right like you said, futsal is impossible. Right. Um, So you don't necessarily have the experience right now, but Mallory Pugh definitely does. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. Okay. (laughs) I'm just trying to transition us back to the conversation. If
2: somebody's played outdoor soccer they at any level, like at high school, I didn't even play in high school. I played just rec league. So, you know, again, this is my extensive soccer career, trying to compare it to World Cup, the highest possible level of soccer of women who will be better than I can ever think of being. Absolutely. Um. But again i guess that's you
0: and i like it's it's <laughs> it's a non-negotiable but anyways I, I think i see your point of that this means so much to like i bring up mallory Pugh, one of the great attackers on this usa roster i believe it's her first world, world cup um but she, you know she's been kind of coming through the ranks for the last couple of years and for somebody to score their very first world cup goal i say 100 percent. celebrate ta- to the the maximum you want to do you do you in that moment but where I might have a problem, and I don't know so necessarily know where I fall in it net, like 100%, but Alex Morgan doing her little fist pump. She did one, two, three, four after her fourth goal. I'm fine with that. But Megan Rapinoe going over to the USA bench and doing like a slide and a kick and a celebration, that to me might be on the edge of just like, that's a little bit much.
2: Yeah. And, and sometimes you aren't necessarily thinking that as a player.
0: Sometimes it just is the sense of, you know... You're just in the moment. You scored. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's your 50th World Cup goal or your first. You just scored in the World Cup. Yeah.
2: And, it's, and it matters sometimes your intensity because if you're an intense player, then you're always, you know, high, strong, and you score, and suddenly there's that release, and yeah it's super exciting. If you're a lot more laid-back player, you know, you'll probably celebrate in a really high-intense game, but when you're winning by 10 goals, then you're a lot more relaxed, and so you don't quite care as right. much or well, I just don't, I don't say you don't quite care as much. You're just not as exuberant about right. it.
0: Well, I, I think you bring up a good point there. It kind of has to do with the character or, you know, your personality, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was listening to Stu Holden today. He brought up a point of, you know, why don't you just go in there, your seventh, eighth, ninth goals, you're putting them in, just be stone faced killer. Like Kawhi Leonard, just, just, you know, score the goal, turn to the midline, let's get this thing going. We're moving on, but that's not some people's personalities. If you yeah. were trying to tell Steph Curry, or Kevin Durant, whoever you want, it, somebody more of a lively, emotional player to play like Kawhi Leonard, you're not going to have the same effect. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's generally the kind of player that I am. I'm more stone-faced,
2: but obviously I'm not a professional, but there's plenty of examples of guys who are stone-faced. Sure. The, the Kawhi Leonard's, You'd say John Stockton. I've only seen like two John Stockton celebrations ever. I've never even seen him smile at his son's <laughs> basketball games. Like, he's on Gonzaga. Uh, he... <laughs> He he smiled when he hit that shot to send the Jazz to the finals, and I think that's about the only thing I've ever seen him celebrate. And uh, I think Carmelo was similar issue. He was more outgoing, but there's examples yeah. of those. You no know, Tom Brady, he's a guy that you know he throws a game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, and he you know goes you know the fist bump. Right. But d- but again, he does have his childlike moments. If you watch him after Mount mal- that Malcolm Butler celebration, mm-hmm. anybody in that in a situation like that might go absolutely berserk. Right. But when Tom Brady throws his sixth touchdown. In a fifty-nine zero blow, and it's like, oh, I just did yeah, that before. Okay. Just that's the kind of player he is, but the the scrub who just caught his first ever touchdown pass in the fifty-nine to zero game,
0: He'd be pretty pumped.
2: Yeah, so like, I'm saving this ball. Right. So,
0: yeah, I mean that's a good point too. Yeah. You, you don't think that after Tom Brady's third touchdown in the game, week eleven, his twenty-first year, I don't think he's wanting that game ball. You don't. You don't think yeah. so, right?
2: He'll throw it into the crowd just as soon as anybody. Right even take the 15-yard penalty comes with it, I think.
0: Is that still a penalty? I don't think so. I think they changed that rule because I remember Cam Newton that one year when it won the MVP was, you know, that was like kind of his thing that year as he was always going up to the crowd, giving balls to fans. So I don't uh, know If, if you
2: give it to them, they don't care. It's when you okay. like hurl it into the crowd. That's, good.
0: That's a good question. That may be a topic for a different day. Yeah. Definitely don't punt the ball. So just th-
2: this whole discussion about the blowout and the celebration, it just comes down to People who don't quite understand the circumstances, the structure of soccer, how it all works. You know, again, it's not coming down to sexism or anything like that, which no. I hate it when people bring that in. Um, I, I, I won't say that sexism doesn't exist in international soccer. It, it does. 100%. Especially because FIFA exists. Yeah. But when Joe on twitter says well why do they run up the score it's because joe on twitter doesn't understand soccer and, right. and I, i'm not saying that it's a bad thing plenty of people don't understand soccer especially here in the u.s and so they question it right you know we come out we've i feel like we've explained it pretty well don't come out and say we just say that to the men right that's
0: sexist it's like dude let's
2: calm down Right.
0: And I think that's the, I think that's the problem, especially what you see on Twitter. I mean, Twitter yeah. is a cesspool of ideas, but <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of what we're talking about is, you know, you see the guy who might be getting a little enraged about the running up the score and maybe yeah. doesn't have all the information that he needs to kind of make that judgment.
2: Yeah. Because because in every other sport that, you know, again, Joe on Twitter or Joe on Facebook has experienced, has those mechanisms to avoid such an absolutely lopsided score. So there's this, to him, there's this unwritten rule. If you do that, you're automatically unsportsmanlike, and any celebration, it's, you know, got to act like Barry Sanders in the end zone. Yeah. Where he he never celebrated any of his,
0: like, 500 touchdowns or many he had. Maybe that's why he ended his career early. He's just like, I'm not having any fun (laughs) scoring all these touchdowns. I don't feel anything. He played for the Lions. Calvin Johnson also retired early. You think this is an accident that two of the best players of their position. Do you think there's any hope for Lions fans that Matthew Stafford retires anytime soon? <laughs> is that their perception of it? or Matthew
2: Stafford's not their problem.
0: I mean, that's fair. I mean,
2: he's not their solution,
0: but he's not their I problem. I mean, that's definitely fair. There, there are a lot of things wrong. Can you name one Lions running back who's rushed for 1,000 yards since Barry Sanders? And I'm not sure if there is one. I just blanked on
2: all the Lions running backs, but there's been like 18... 18- of them in the last two years so exactly yeah I I suddenly can't I used to know three or four because
0: I used to you'd you'd take a flyer on them in fantasy yep and then they'd not do anything. I remember the last one that I, I, I was really high on was, I think it was maybe the last year, second to last year of NCAA football being a video game. And do you remember a name by Javad Best who played for That was the name that literally just popped into my yes. head was Javad Best. I was Absolutely like, I don't, a know beast. If, yeah,
2: I don't know if he did anything in the NFL. I don't think he did. But N- yeah. Not a, not, a, <laughs> not even a
0: 100-yard game, I would presume. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, well, we got off topic. Hey, guys. Quick break, but we'll be back to talk about USU basketball. And later on, we'll have Jay and Johnson on to talk about the Marco Anthony signing and just some kind of current events about what's going on with the program. All right, stay tuned.
2: All right, um, so I guess. I always kind of thought the off season was a quiet time And I'm about four articles behind right. <laughs> And writing for the Statesman uh, Shameless plug for my work at the Statesman uh, USUstatesman.com Yeah, the USUstatesman.com I'm at the rate where we're going to publish one today recording I'm going to publish one tomorrow and the day after that And I'm probably going to come with more I'm going almost an article a day at this point And so
0: When's the last time they played? March <laughs>
2: Yeah, like March twenty first or something. Yeah. When was that uh Washington game? I, I don't know. I, I was gonna Google it, but yeah,
0: <laughs> poor memories. Right, <laughs> and a long bus drive. <laughs> yeah, after a thirty six hour bus ride, I don't expect you to remember any of it. What happened? <laughs> Which is yeah. probably good for Aggie fans.
2: Yeah, it was just so uh, I, I'd do it again though. Even if I knew the result, I'd probably do it again. Just oh yeah, the, the experience was awesome. Yeah, being that close and could almost reach out and touch coach smith that's pretty cool Um, pretty cool not quite that much but maybe if i was like nemias kata i could have reached out (laughs) and touched him
0: (laughs) yeah what's your wingspan are you just shy of seven five
2: (laughs) (laughs) just just shy of six foot (laughs) that's it (laughs) we're just gonna leave it. i think it might be six foot when i self-measured it but my measuring standards were probably not high quality. So probably it could have been anywhere between 5'10 and 6'8. Okay. Um, well, I'll
0: look on Draft Express later and I'll find your profile.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, side note before we really get into this, I have legitimately thought about declaring for the NBA draft. It, not seriously, but right. like just As I a, declared a thought for the piece. NBA yeah. Draft. Like I did it. Check it off the bucket list and maybe even the NFL. Obviously, I'll never get a look anywhere, but I've thought about looking into, like, what it would take. Yeah. I'd probably have to pay some fee, which is probably the, the sure. number one reason I would. Hire have. an agent. I don't even know if I'd have to hire an agent. <laughs> I, just I, be, mean, like, I declared for the draft. Yeah, yeah. And maybe just hire, like, my dad is my agent or something like that.
0: You should legitimately try out for the stars. I think every year they have an open <laughs> tryout. I mean, just see how it goes. If I lost 80 pounds, I'd
2: think about it <laughs> just to have fun, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about um, speaking of the draft, yeah. the guy who is not going to be, um, who has the same likelihood as me of being in this upcoming <laughs> draft,
0: uh, That seems like a formality, <laughs> but I mean I understand what you're saying.
2: <laughs> so Namiasketa will not be in the upcoming draft. That was absolutely huge for Utah State. I mean, yeah. that this is where our discussion will be kind of is that that changes the entire. Conference. Yeah, it changes the conference. It shifts the entire paradigm from Utah State being a probably favorite, considering like half the conference got worse and lost a lot of their best talent. Utah State was kind of be the default. Who else are you going to pick? San Diego State, possibly. I mean, you never know. Utah State was a huge surprise last year, so obviously there's a a lot of unpredictability. But who else were you going to pick? Nevada lost uh, literally everybody, including their coach. Boise State had a decent recruiting class yeah. and got some key players back. I think, I think Boise State is probably one of the few teams you can say got better. Yes. I think they got better. And so, but I mean, San Diego State, New Mexico, Nevada, I mean, basically everybody. I think Fresno State even, they got worse. Not significantly worse. Nevada is the only team that really got significantly worse. Right.
0: But marginally. I think the other team you could make a case for um, is New Mexico. New Mexico retaining the players that they did, and yeah. really only losing their like one key player in Anthony Mathis. Yeah, um, I think they maybe if they didn't get better, kind of just got better within the s- landscape of the conference by maintaining most of their talent. Yeah, so I
2: think that'll be probably one of the main uh, contenders against Utah State. Yeah, because they they were the close to maintaining their. Their talent with some recruits that'll help
0: replace Anthony Mathis, I believe. Yeah, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, I, they I, have I'm one player that uh, was a top hundred <coughs> recruit, a transfer, obviously, since New Mexico yeah. just cleans up the transfer market. But um, yeah, they have a guy top one hundred. He's gonna be eligible next year. He redshirted last year, so yeah, they're they're gonna be stock full of talent at least on paper.
1: Yeah,
2: but now in Utah State's gonna be that way too because you retain your, art. I guess I can't say best player because Sam Merrill, but like. One of the most impactful, I'd say, almost as much as... He's, he's as impactful as Sam Merrill, right. if, even if you say he's not as purely good as Merrill.
0: Well, especially in the framework of the team. Yeah. I mean, he's vital to that. That Coach Smith, I mean, obviously preaches that he wants to rebound and get up and down the floor. They're number one in the country defensive rebounding percentage last year. That's one of Namedia <laughs> Keita's big, like, strong suits. Like, that is what he's yeah. pretty good at. Yeah, he's really good at boxing out, because that's one of the things
2: is that you... You think for a team that is number one defensive rebounding, their leading rebounder would get more than nine a game. Right. But when you watch him, you see maybe he's not attacking the rebound, but he's boxing out the other guy's best player. Hundred percent. And yeah, so that's where you are getting Sam Merrill getting three a game, and Justin Bean obviously he's I'd say Justin Bean's the best rebounder on the team, but he doesn't get the minutes or the, right, <laughs> the yeah.
0: time, and he's you know to get the ten rebounds a game. But obviously. if you look at his like per forty statistics, you just drool like yeah, absolute best player on the team yeah and
2: like every time a ball comes off the rim especially on the offensive side you know you're looking as the shot goes on all of, all of a sudden you see justin be yeah. flying through flying. the air from like the free throw line to try and get yeah. a rebound well, most of the time he doesn't get it you know because offensive rebounds are hard to get and somebody else gets it but it's just funny to see him every time yeah. flying in just like where did he come from he's <laughs> like did he just come off the bench or something
0: Right Probably just literally Just su- Substitute <laughs> minutes Just check in Get a rebound Fly in Other side of the court He's just like <laughs> Alternating the, re- the whole game
2: yeah, It's just like It's like a hockey substitution right.
0: Yeah right, Hurry quick Quick come out Right, right. He's just a one man shift <laughs> <Yeah>. Justin Bean
2: <laughs> yeah. oh, There's there's a lot of things that can be said of Justin right. being a lovable guy. Right. Great guy.
0: Um, Cole hero. But I mean, like your point about, you know, kind of him fitting into the framework of the team, talking about Kata, that's kind of how their team plays, though. That, like you're talking about, he gets those tip outs to other players, mm-hmm. and similar to their rebounding, they are also top 10 in the country last year in assists. But Sam Merrill was the only, or was the leading assist man. He didn't even average five assists. Like that's kind of just the framework of their team. Yeah. It seems like, you know, putting players in positions to make plays and also make plays for their teammates.
2: Yeah. And, and definitely as a defender, this is where obviously he shined. It was his thing. Obviously, winning Defensive Player of the Year that, that t- if you win that, that tends to be your strong suit. Right. And he cleaned up in all of the advanced stats in the Mountain West, and was even pretty high. I think top. I want to see he was top ten in one of the defensive stats. If you're looking at defensive rating, defensive box plus minus, mm-hmm. um, and then there's another one like defensive win chairs, I yeah. think. I think box plus minus was his highest. He was, like, ninth in the country, I think. It was either that or defensive rating. Yeah.
0: He was pretty high up uh, in player efficiency rating, too. I believe he was at one point in the season midway through, if you were to, like, take his player efficiency rating and translate uh, into, like, the NBA rankings, he was, like, somewhere mid-20s. Like, he was – Yeah. PR does (laughs) – it it, it does favor big man, But,
2: obviously, (laughs) he was performing really well. Because, you know, you look at him, you don't think superstar because he put up – basically just shy of 12 points, nine rebounds. Mm-hmm. Not spectacular, but his impact was huge, mostly because of the defense you know, the rebounding that he did do and also the boxing out and just the framework of the team. Because, you know, for as good a defensive team as Utah State was, a lot of it was system and a lot of it was Namiya Shkata. Mm-hmm. Because you look at all the defenders on Utah State, it doesn't explain. Like, you look at the guys who are up there in defensive rating and defensive win shares, like right. Justin Bean, like his – they're all disciplined defenders, but they're not super athletic, super long guys. You think of guys who go to the NBA draft. Uh, you know, you, you look at Washington, Matisse Who right. who is a spectacular defender. Um, none of them look like right. Matisse Teibel. Right. I mean, Sam Merrill is slow as heck. Yeah. But he's a really disciplined defender, and
0: it helps to have Nimi Eshkeda in there. Well, and that's kind of what their team relies on is that you have the guys like Sam Merrill and even Brock Miller kind of showed some improvement throughout the season of, you know, that, that's what they focus on is defensive placement, uh, defensive hustle, and just having that motor. But what they have is they have Names K to kind of clean things up under the basket if, it, if, you know, it comes to that point. I remember watching in the Mountain West tournament, there was times where the teams were kind of <laughs> shifting their offense around getting to the basket because they were scared mm-hmm. of going in there with Keita down yeah. low. Yeah, and
2: the minute he goes off, you can almost set your clock to it and is when he goes off, first play, they go inside of the rim. Yep. Literally every time. Like, it was uncanny. You'd think maybe they'd get a wide-open three-pointer on one of them, but no, straight to the rim. Every every play, every mm-hmm. game. Yeah, and then they go to it two or three more times, and, you know, into an offense, but it was just when they knew Gator was off yeah. the floor, it's like, all right, Quinn Taylor, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Quinn Taylor and his ability to play center Certainly. given who, given his, you know, physical build. Yeah. Um, he's not a rim protector. <laughs> no, not by any chance. Um, his his skills lie elsewhere, and there they were many. Um, but, yeah, he's, he wasn't a meanish Kada inside, which is why it's interesting, which maybe we can move into recruiting, unless you had anything else to add on Kata. No, we've, we've, yeah, we've done a good job diagnosing his, his play. Um, so kind of moving into that, Utah State picked up one of their pickups. Uh, since the end of the season, they had like three or four recruits during the season um Kuba Karwowski, I think I said that right, or I think Jacob Karwowski, but yeah. he goes by Cuba. Kuba. Kuba Karwowski,
0: maybe I don't know if you want to get really it's polish European on it. I'm, yeah, I'm just going know. off of. There's a really good striker in the Bundesliga named Robert Lewandowski, so I'm just gonna go Karwowski. Is that actually? I've always said Lewandowski
2: like I think Lewandowski. I think is I you yeah, say the W, but obviously neither of us are Europeans, so yeah, so I, probably getting it completely yeah, wrong. Yeah, and he's also German or Austrian or Polish. Polish, okay. Yeah. Yeah, some Eastern Europeans, where all the Bundesliga guys are from. Is
0: it Bundesliga or like Bundesliga? If you want to get like really, I'm um, a soccer fan. Just Bundesliga. Kind of <laughs> put some put just some sauerkraut in your <laughs> mouth.
2: <laughs> sauerkraut, maybe drink a beer beforehand. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> there you go. You just spoke German. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the n- New German for Dummies manual coming out by. <laughs> <laughs>
2: by Dalton Renshaw. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Kuba Karwalski, uh, seven foot two guy. I think he's the tallest guy. I I tried looking this up and going back as far as I could until high listings either don't exist for the players or get kind of dicey. I think he's the tallest player Utah State has had in a long time who might actually make the rotation. Mm-hmm. I think they've had a seven two seven foot two guy, one or two of them, if I remember. They never stepped on the court. Yeah, he actually has a pretty decent chance of being the backup center. Um, ben Fakir is no longer on the roster. Clay Stall is. I don't know what's going to happen with Clay Stahl. I think he spent the last two seasons on whatever we call injured reserve in college. Mm -hmm. And I have no clue if he's good or not. Um,
0: It all kind of depends on what they want to do, right? Because a lot of times, you know, they didn't necessarily have that natural fit at backup center last year. And so if it wasn't Fakira getting those minutes, they kind of shift into a smaller lineup and kind of, you know, put either Dwayne Brown at the four to five and they kind of just build backwards from there. Yeah.
2: Quentin Taylor was the backup five. Right they've kind of played some similar to the Utah Jazz where their starting power forward was their backup center. Yeah. Which was interesting. It worked. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't play a backup center because you know, the two backups they had, well, I guess they had one. It was Ben Fakira because Clay Stahl was injured. Um, but Fakira, I guess they didn't think he was ready for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, maybe he wasn't, we barely saw him.
0: um, but whether it actually affected or not, I remember a couple times last year where, you know, they kind of had this reputation for going on those runs mid-game, whether they may be down or as a close game. And I remember a lot of the times that they went on those runs, it would be at Brown at the four and Quinn Taylor at the five. So, I mean, yeah. it's something that they're definitely willing to go to. But definitely having Kuba on the roster as that, you know, def natural fit at center is something that they didn't have last year.
2: Yeah, and and he is similar enough to Mish Keda. Uh There's obviously some differences, but he's a he's a rim protector he averaged yeah. a lot of blocks at uh i forget the community college because i've heard of like six north platte i believe yeah, it's north platte us because yeah, i was just thinking of the new guy they signed right. the community college he was from from like oregon
0: treasure valley which i mean yeah, definitely treasure doesn't valley. sound like a college <laughs> Sounds like maybe another establishment <laughs> uh, yeah so Cuba, i think he averaged
2: i think three blocks a game. but again you know, only seven foot two in a community college you're kind of yeah. going to do that um I think Kade averaged that probably in some of his FIBA stuff or mm-hmm. whatever in Portugal. Yeah, but he, he's also a—he's that. Uh, oh, what's the archetype I'm thinking of? The, you think of the DeAndre Jordan, the Rudy Gobert, yeah. the, the rim runner. That's the term I'm looking right. for. Rim runner will dunk anything, and if he doesn't dunk, he's—he's he, he's probably gonna miss yes. it. Quite frankly, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, I can't remember. Did he, Could he shoot? I can't remember if I'm... He had a, a little bit of a range. It's funny enough, like you mentioned a minute ago, he has a lot of similarities to Namish Keita where, you know, he wasn't necessarily asked to do a lot outside um you know under the basket last year but he has enough of a touch from you know what kind of the little highlight packages and extended clips that i saw where if necessary he can kind of step out and maybe get a 10 footer or something like that um but he he definitely is more of that rim runner get up and down the court he's going to protect the basket and kind of fill that same role that kata would be if kata's off the court yeah so he did technically shoot like 40 plus percent from three but he took like
2: 15 three-pointers in two years so i guess there is some range there and maybe some potential but yeah you mentioned kate obviously i i thought they maybe should have let him take a few more threes i thought so too um maybe like one or two a game but yeah he never did anything on the outside which is why it surprised The Utah Jazz scouts were like, "Wait, this guy's got a shooting touch,"
0: which he's not Steph Curry out there by (laughs) any means, or Dirk Nowitzki, or whoever you want to compare him to. But I mean, a good comp might be somebody like Giannis in the playoffs this last postseason. You know, you could see him once he got out there and a little bit more comfortable from the perimeter. He, you know, would hit maybe two or three a game when it was necessary.
2: Yeah, I think some of it just does come down to system, just because Craig Smith's system does not favor. Well, it doesn't favor like scoring big men. Like, cause the way Offensively, they used, yeah. Yeah, because the way they used Keita is I've watched more and more film. They say he's a back-to-the-basket player, but he, he rarely actually has to go to his moves. What they do is the whole thing comes down to manipulating the defense to build an open shot, and then what they'll do for Keita is they'll manipulate it so he's the defender is on front of him, and so he's between the defender and the basket. They get it to him, and he dumps it in. So he doesn't really have to go to his post moves, right. which he has one post move.
0: Well, and like another part of their offense, like you're talking about kind of where Kata fits in under the basket is something that the scouts also mentioned was kind of underrated. Um, his passing abilities, too, is something oh, yeah. that he was really not featured at a ton last year in the offense, but something he excelled in the in limited features that he did have.
2: Yeah. Well, one thing I have noticed just just watching the film is how often he'll get the ball when he gets it in the post. He holds it up in the air, you know, the, the same, you know, what all these seven-foot guys do yeah. to make fun of the short guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he looks around because he can see over everybody in the mm-hmm. conference, and they'll spread out the offense. And actually, more often than not, he'll pass out of that. Either maybe he's not confident enough for, you know, the post move, or if he has the advantage, he'll back him down. But he'll look first, and he'll see, like, because they'll send the double team a lot, yeah. which is one of the reasons why he didn't go to his post moves because the second he tried, he got double teamed, and he, he lose the ball because – Fair enough. Yeah. So – and he just watches, and the second that double team comes, he just hurls it across the court, and pretty darn accurate for yeah. a big man, uh, which is why I'm surprised he only averaged like one assist, I think, yeah. for how many awesome passes, maybe more hockey assists or things like that that kind of get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm.
0: Or flowing, or whatever you want to say, since it's basketball. One of the cliches. <laughs> yeah. and But, but yeah, man. I mean, he's kind of making those outlet passes in a way where you can, you know, get the ball to a player. I'm thinking of, like, uh, the play in the Warriors game the other day where Clay ended up making the three, but it was Draymond Green's pass that actually, you know, kind of ignited that. That was kind of what Kato was featured in. He might not make the assist pass, but he's going to get the ball out to the perimeter to either take that open shot for another player or that next pass where it's going to be a super clean look.
2: Yeah. All right, so then I don't know. <laughs> we got off on the tangent. Yeah, on we Cuba. could get off on a million tangents. Um, but, but I'll say this about Cuba: the one thing that excited me the most, because I watched, you know, a highlight reel, which of course is the again the pinnacle of um, scouting, is watching yeah. highlight reels on YouTube. Uh, and I, I've tried to watch some games, but again, it's not like I'm 100% knowledgeable on everything Cuba Karwowski. But the thing that wowed me the most. Because when you watch big men, you watch them go up the court and go around the, you know, just going about playing basketball. They lumber. And you watch Joel Embiid for, you know, all of his talk about athleticism. You watch him. Every step is heavy. Yes. And just lumbering big men. Obviously, these are giant men. Of course, it's understandable they do that. You watch Cuba. That dude bounces like a gazelle. (laughs) He... Like I, I saw one where he got the defensive rebound on the baseline, outletted it half halfway up the the backcourt, like you know past the three point line, beat the point guard up the floor, Dang. and he wasn't really even trying, <laughs> and the point guard wasn't either, but he beat him up the court and got into position, just jogging for. It. He just moves so well, and he's a bit of a beanpole. Yeah, but even still, there are a lot of bean poles who can't move worth crap when they're seven foot sure. two. There's a lot of those you know lanky guys that are on high school teams just because they're seven foot two. This guy moves really well, and I don't know if it will translate super well, but you see a guy like that who can move as well as he is for how tall he is. You know, he lacks some of the skills, but he can be a rim runner. And Utah State doesn't use rim runners very well, but he can. they still have mechanisms in place to utilize those kind of skills because they did it with Kata. Right. Because that's Kata's archetype as a rim runner. And I think they can use him. I don't know if he'll pan out. <laughs> I doubt it will pan out like Kata. But as a backup center, and he might end up replacing Kate any year's time, or two years, however we're counting this. You know, I think he'll pan out all right.
0: Yeah, and, and like you're saying, you can't always translate what you see on film or the stats from a community college level to you know Division one basketball. But that's something that is built into him. He's athletic. He can run the court, and that's something that doesn't really matter necessarily what level of basketball you're playing. That's something that you're going to be able to excel at if you're good at it, right? Yeah. And that's you know something that Utah State can definitely use with with the way that they get rebounds and they break in their offense and uh, somebody else who might be able to kind of play a part we'll see kind of as the season progresses and we get closer to the season how much of a role he'll actually play but the Newest signing that they've made, Carson Bischoff. Um, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly either, but um, they just need to get, can they get to get like Smiths or something like that? Yeah. Like well, they have a Craig Smith. That's right, yeah. Why can't I just have the database of Smiths? And I've, I've now, I
2: think I've just about nailed Meish keda although whenever I type it, I always accidentally capitalize the U oh, just because yeah. the way I type. Right. But, yeah, they have a lot of weird names. Yeah. Although, and speaking of that, when I, I tweeted out, I tweeted out the fact they signed him, and then I quote tweeted myself and mentioned it, and I mentioned Bishop's name twice, and I misspelled it both times. <laughs> I missed the S that comes first, and so it's like, I don't know if I
0: should say it on air, you know, yeah. bitch off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll check so, with compliance on that, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe Coach Smith, if you're listening, please just get some easier names to us pronounce. <laughs> Great players, though. Please stick to that. Anyways, but the, the, the thing I was going to get to about him is that um, – Again, looking at the tape, you can't really draw too much off of, you know, com- a community college level. But what he could definitely do is he could definitely shoot the ball. He, uh, Carson is a shorter Brock Miller. Right. That's basically who he is. Right. But, and at least, I, I don't know how much I really want to put stock into this take or whatever. But um, just the of footage I've seen of him. Brock Miller is somebody who was streaky at times last year. That's that's no no secret. Um Carson seems to be a very smooth shooter and somebody who, you know, might get out of rhythm occasionally but definitely had the touch and the confidence to pull up from basically wherever.
2: Yeah, he does. And I say as far as the way they play, I, I can't say if he's as stringy as Brock Miller was and that's one thing I was really disappointed with when I look at bat at the last season is how Brock Miller really struggled at times which if cuz for a guy like Carson or Brock to be really good contributors on Utah State they don't really have many skills outside of their shooting. And some players are just like that. And they have a place on basketball teams. Right. Um, Brock's not really bad at much else. He's an okay defender as far as I can tell. I never really saw him got beat horribly or get confused on defense in the system. But if he's not shooting, I'd have to say if Brockman really wants to be an elite contributor, he has to shoot 40%, which sure. he didn't. In the games where he did, when he was shooting 5 of 7, you know, he's one of the most impactful players on the court. Yeah. When he's shooting 0 for 8, which he did because he has the confidence of a guy who's gone 10 for 10 in yep. 15 seconds, you know, you know if he goes 0 for 8, then he wasn't really hurting the team, but when you miss 8 three-pointers, you're not helping. Right, sure. Um because they were, they were able to overcome his, you know, over for 8.
0: But, I mean, that's something that's kind of built into the team, though, is that, I mean, I talked to Craig Smith a couple times last year about this and other assistant coaches as well, and that's something that they, you know, try to push the players to do. Like Brock Miller's role, like you're saying, is to be a shooter. Maybe didn't shoot up to the level that he should have necessarily last year, or you, or you would hope, but... That That is his job, and he's good at it. And so they kept telling him to shoot the ball. Yeah. And I think that's something where Carson might be able to fit in as well as, you know, I don't know if he has a ton of ISO scoring ability or anything like he that. Doesn't, he doesn't. That, but, I mean, like, the point is that he can kind of slide in, and as long as he can get some confidence early and they can see some things in practice and maybe some games early on the season, he'll get those opportunities because that's something that they didn't necessarily have last year outside of Brock Miller as somebody who's just a, a shut-down three-point shooter. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if he makes it
2: in the rotation, and maybe we'll get into this later because there's one recruiting spot left. But he's a walk-on. He's yes. not a signing. So you wonder, will he get minutes? Maybe. Abel Porter became the starter as a walk-on. Right. Um. So we'll see. And you know, he's a guy that you can plug in. I don't know if he'd come in at shooting guard or point guard. They'd probably just throw him in as a guard because they don't really have a point guard on this team.
0: Well, and that they don't have a ton of depth necessarily at guard. Yeah. Either.
2: Which is why I think he, unless they bring another signing, he'll probably get some minutes just because they have three guards on this roster. Right. They say Brock Miller's a guard, but he's six foot eight and starts a small forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, whatever. He's he's a tweener, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. Yeah, he's not definitely, regardless, they don't have a ton of depth at the position. Yeah, so
2: he can come in there and get minutes and, yeah, again, just, just be a sharpshooter and just having another one. Give Porter a break because Porter was a good three-point shooter. Yeah. Pretty much all their guards are really good shooters. They're in the 38-plus percent, I think. I think
0: Porter was shooting 40%, and I think Burrito was pretty darn close. I think Burrito led the team in percentage last year. Was he? I believe so, yeah. He did up until at least, like, the tournament run. Okay.
2: Yeah, so he was up there. Merrill was at, like, 36, 37, but he was taking the hardest shots of the team. So He was forcing a lot of them, unfortunately. It's kind of like, you know, Steph Curry being, like, 38%. Right. Yeah, he's like best shooter, but right. he's you know taking crazy <laughs> shots.
0: When you're asked to take your team back from ten down and kind of control <laughs> the offense, you're going to take some bad shots just out of necessity.
2: Yeah, and just just harder difficulty shots in general. Right. So it, it'll be interesting there, and um, but we will get to that potentially signing a final player because there's a couple of players I'm in tr- intrigued about, mm-hmm. and they're both basically the same player. Maybe s- there's some slight differences. Uh, Liam McChesney and Sean Berstow. Yeah. I'm really excited about Sean Berstow. A lot of people are excited about Liam McChesney. He's there, according to 24/7 Sports or two four seven, I don't yep. know how they want you to say it, but <laughs> I'm saying 24/7 because yeah. that's what it looks like. Right. Liam um, McChesney is the highest recruited, rated recruit ever, according to that you know recruiting yeah. service. Um, Berstow's like
0: sixth, I think. In USU program history. Yeah, in USU program history. <laughs> no, ever,
2: <laughs> ever. Ever. here, Ever.
0: <laughs> you heard of Zion last year, right? Well, this guy. This guy. Let me tell you about McChesney.
2: Liam McChesney is eight eight feet tall right. and moves like, oh, uh, he was really quick. <laughs> Shoot. I lost everybody.
0: Uh, uh, John Wall back before he blew out both his <laughs> knees. Yeah,
2: John Wall. Derrick Rose. We'll go with Derrick yeah. Rose. Moves like Derrick
0: Again, Rose. Again, blew out both of his knees. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jeez. What's with these quick people blowing out their knees? <laughs> You're onto to something here. <laughs> Um, it's like, it's like big men ruining their feet, right? Um, knees and back and all that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, Sean, Sean I lost the sudden thing at John Wall now <laughs> in the glory days of Derrick Rose. Um, oh. but, Sean, but these two players, they're both tall. Sean Bersow's six, eight, and he's a guard forward type. Um, more of a forward now, just because of his height, and he's not quick enough to be a guard. Obviously, although he's he's athletic, mm-hmm. he'll be one of the more athletic guys um, on the team, I believe. Um, moves really well, and Lee Chesney is very similar. He's six foot nine. So he's he's slightly taller. Doesn't isn't quite as quick, which is why he's listed as power forward. It's where he'll p- it's where he'll play. It's where he fits in. But he's got some decent handles for a guy that tall, so he's kind of that stretch four, maybe even a point forward. I don't know how good of a passer he is. So two very similar, but they're also both thin as toothpicks. Yes. That I don't think either of them are 200 pounds soaking wet and holding 15 pound dumbbells. Yeah. So.
0: <clears throat> but I mean, t- t- granted, they are both you know coming in as freshmen. They're, yeah. They're young guys. They can put some weight on. Um, but I I think what you're saying where they're you know they're similar and you know stature similar and ability and stuff like that but they're different from kind of what Utah State's had in the past of that kind of point forward like you're talking about somebody that I'm thinking of last year that you know is going to go to the draft this year and played really well in the Mountain West Jalen McDaniels maybe not that skill level we'll see obviously but that ability to kind of get the ball push the qu- push it up the court make a pass if necessary um as you know, you can use as many of those as you can, you know, in today's basketball game.
2: Yeah, and I think you look at Jalen McDaniels, you can be excited. I don't think the being thin as a stick is, it's obviously not preferable, but in college you can get away with it. Because right. Jalen McDaniels is the same way. He's a toothpick. Y- yes. Yeah, a little beanpole there. But if you've got that athleticism, that handle, that shooting ability, sure, if you go up against, you know, a 250-pound, you know, power forward or center or whatever in the paint, you're going to get knocked around a little bit, mm-hmm. but... You know, on the, the wing, if you got the athleticism like I think Berstow does, that's why I'm excited about him and less yeah. about Machesi, because Machesi kind of needs that bulk a little bit exactly. for the position he's playing. But Berstow can get away with it. But, again, you're adding two guys. The Utah State didn't, didn't have this kind of player. The closest they came was Dwayne Brown. He spent most of the season on the bench. Like He was their best isolation scorer. Sure. He also couldn't do much else, which is why he, <laughs> he could only do isolation scoring. Fair, yes. Um, even though he was obviously the best at it. So you're getting two long, athletic guys, and you're also adding a guy like Alfonso Anderson and Roshi Grootfam. Grootfam, not obviously coming in new. He's been with the team. He just, I think, blew out his ACL a year and a half ago or however long it was. Yeah. So we're adding four wings, like small forward, power forward, kind of combo forward types, (laughs) which is really interesting because we didn't have a ton of that last year. We had some, but they're mostly power forwards like Quinn Taylor and Justin Bean and Dwayne Brown. Now we're adding guys who are playing, you know, more in that backcourt role who are capable of doing backcourt
0: things. Well, yeah, and if you look at the guys who they put out on the wing last year, kind of almost by necessity with guys like Diego Brito, uh, excuse me, Diego Brito and uh, like Brock Miller almost played more as a wing like you're talking about, Um, but they're kind of more in that mold of being a guard like diogo brito yeah. a lot of the times when uh, abel was out of the game he'd be the one that would be essentially the point guard but you know we get somebody like baristow which i also kind of agree has more intrigue for me because if he's not going to be playing down low as much like mcchesney who might get bodied out a little bit um Bearso has that ability to kind of live on the perimeter to kind of shift around Get around screens, set screens, make passes, and kind of open up the offense in a way that Utah State didn't necessarily have last year. It was at times a little bit of a heavy half-court set, um, but having that ability to run like they might have as a team who you know basically lives off of rebounding and running, and that's something that I think is going to be extremely beneficial. Yeah, and
2: just and just adding the length in general. Because you look at their guards, and you know they've got some tall guards, but sometimes they're playing small forward, like Brito, like they're playing, you know porter Brito, and merrill right somebody's technically guarding a three right even if they're not bad i mean merrill and Brito, i think both six five ish and porter six three but yeah you throw in a guy who's six eight and suddenly everything gets better that's why brock miller is really nice because he's a six foot eight shooting guard small forward type Mm -hmm. he can play both those roles and has that length so it's just when you add length and athleticism and just pure ability you're happy about it yeah and and Both McChesney and uh, Berstow, suddenly I managed to forget his name. Both of them can shoot it. Yeah. Which in this league, anytime you bring in a guy, the first question you ask, (laughs) after like height and weight, you ask, can he shoot?
0: Are you eligible to play? (laughs) Do you have proper paperwork? Okay, great. Can you shoot the basketball?
2: Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to. You just think, can they shoot? The only question you don't ask, can they shoot, is center. And even then, that's like, it's like the eighth question you ask. Right, (laughs) yeah. Whereas, you know, guards, it's like, can you shoot? Yeah. Even power forwards now. Can you shoot? Yeah. Do we you have should. a criminal
0: record? Uh you, can you shoot the basketball? <laughs> yeah, Great. It's
2: just, it's like on the application. Yeah.
0: <laughs> can you shoot? But you haven't even asked me my name yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just be calling you by your number, anyways. This is like Pee Wee football.
2: Yeah. Twelve. Can yeah. you shoot?
0: <laughs> but yeah. but I mean, like the point I think kind of to wrap this up a little bit. Um, at least in my opinion, kind of the way I look at it, the way they've gone about filling some of their holes. That they had last season. Granted, they probably didn't have a ton of holes, seeing as they went twenty and six, I believe it was, and yeah, something um, like that. And you know, won the Mountain West, got a tournament, everything. <coughs> uh, they've done a good job of like kind of filling out each position that they might have had a little bit of weakness in. Like they didn't go out and get six wings because everyone's playing with wings, and get out you know three point guards. They might still definitely need a backup point guard. We'll see if um, Carson has any kind of ability in that in that in he that doesn't. spot. Well, yeah, I'm just gonna tell you that now yeah. he doesn't. I was trying to be a little <laughs> bit optimistic, but no, that's probably fair. I will fair. shut
2: you down. He averaged one and a half assists. I almost averaged as many assists as he did. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's true. Sorry, Carson. True. I'm just, I love your shooting. Just the average
0: and assist and a half in junior college. And, all fair right, enough. I'll, I'll
2: let you go after fair, I rudely fair, interrupted. Fair enough. I mean,
0: <laughs> let's just yeah, maybe a little slice of optimism, but the point remains. I think they've done a good job recruiting. You know, kind of well-rounded and uh, I don't really see at this point a ton of holes on the roster moving forward, at least on paper. Yeah. Well, thing is, the one hole is that backup point guard, or if you want to be
2: pessimistic about Abel Porter, a starting point guard. But I'm not pessimistic in that area. No. Abel Porter is serviceable. And the point here is, though, Craig Smith's system, again, when you watch it, a true point guard – because I made a comment that ticked off a lot of people in the middle <laughs> season about Abel Porter being a yes, true point did. guard. <laughs> Very much so. And I got almost got called up by Kato for it. Um, but a true point guard, as I've watched, it would help. But it's not – You know, some offenses revolve around having playmakers with the ball. They're able to manipulate the defense by themselves. Yeah. And so it would help. It helps to have those guys. But the offense ran pretty well without it. Because I mean, when you look at Merrill – and early anybody, you know, they'll make a move, and then they're immediately passing it. They're not holding the ball for very long. Right. Which, and I don't know if that was out of necessity or that's just how Coach Smith runs it. I, I try and watch his stuff from um, South Dakota to try and see. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they run well without a point guard. And you mentioned the fact that Utah State was really high in assists, like top 10. And Sam Merrill, their leading assist, had like four. Yeah. 4.1, I think. And so – you're eating a lot of team assists and it's just cuts screens ball movement yeah ball reversals is a huge thing that craig smith talked about and you, you watch the film you see that they make a move they make a couple of screens and they throw it around to the backside to find a guy who's open so do they need a much better point guard maybe not you would like to see depth, though.
0: Right. Well, it definitely depth is something that you always want to have because injuries can always happen. Yeah, um, Players kind of coming out of form for a couple games can definitely happen. Um, and to be a little bit I'm, – I'm kind of on the able – I don't know if you want to call it bandwagon or whatever you want to call it. I, I think Abel is a good player. I think what he brings to the table for that team is all, almost exactly what they want. He's somebody that was – obviously way more of that floor general prototype than anybody else they had on the roster. He can control the offense when needed. He plays good defense. Uh, Like you said a little bit ago, when he gets the chances, he usually makes open shots, which is uh, absolutely necessary. Um, And I mean, let's remember, he's, you know, this is first year kind of in the role last year, didn't start the first 17 games. So, I don't know, maybe he comes in next season has a lot more after. We'll, we'll see.
2: Yeah, if there's one thing I want to see from Abel Porter, it's more aggression. Mm-hmm. Cause, and one of the things that I made the argument for him not being this, you know, true point guard, quote-unquote, is the fact that he doesn't really control games. He has moments, right? which is what I loved. and it, it was one of those moments that sparked the whole thing is when he threw a pick-and-roll lob to Namia Shiketa because mm-hmm. that was awesome. Right. And I'd love to say it, literally nobody ever makes the pick-and-roll pass. Right, You'd think Sam Merrill would. Never I don't remember seeing it. I haven't seen it on film, and I've rewatched
0: three or four games in the mm-hmm. last week or so. Which is why I made the point with Kada Um... But then he also has moments like uh, I, I think it was the Fresno State game in the tournament where I think he scored like nine of their first twelve points or something yeah. like that, where he kind of just can take control. But that's not something you saw throughout the season.
2: Yeah, because if he can do that, he can be more aggressive. And I was thinking about this today, like you think of all the ball handlers on Utah State, Abel Porter has the best crossover. Oh, for sure. And and he used it, and he was nasty with it sometimes. Yes. And you know he can get to the basket and finish pretty well. I think Merrill's better at at the rim sure. but Porter is better at getting there than mm-hmm. Merrill is and so I think there's <laughs> that aggression the fact that he's a really good shooter 40 yeah. percent and some of that is from being mostly a spot-up shooter but who cares hey, who cares yeah if they go in that's that's all that matters and then yeah, yeah. And, and there were plenty where like I'd see him and
0: be he'd be open I'm like shoot the dad go while yeah. you're shooting
2: 40 percent on the season Abel
0: right yeah, maybe that's something else, kind of getting a little bit more confidence from the perimeter and yeah. whether that's something that, you know, Craig Smith held back a little bit last year or something maybe he just didn't have that full confidence in himself. Yeah. But it seems like he definitely has the tools necessary to be able to take those shots at, you know, maybe a higher clip, five, six a game or somewhere around there. Yeah.
2: I think he's a guy who could definitely improve significantly. Um, even if he doesn't have all the physical tools, he can improve just based off of some aggression and learning the game and getting right. that he got that experience last year and I'll utilize that. Unfortunately, I could also see him falling off. I could very easily see that happening. I really hope it doesn't, though. Yeah. Of course, I could see a lot of guys falling off. That seems to happen to anybody randomly.
0: It's kind of just the nature of college basketball and how it works.
2: So we'll we'll see if they they bring in a point guard, a transfer, a freshman. I've heard nothing on the recruiting front as far as who they're going after.
0: A little tight-lipped on that. Yeah.
2: I, I asked Coach Smith about it, and I shouldn't have because I don't think he's allowed to say anything. Right. And he shut me down pretty pretty quick, although very kindly. Yeah. Very kind man. Great man.
0: Yeah. All-time guy.
2: Yeah, I got to love him. But, yeah, so we, we, we don't know if he's bringing anybody in, and they may not need to. And, and when I talked to him about it, because like, we talked about recruiting just before he asked that question and it got awkward, I, <laughs> I, asked him, like, you know, I asked him if they had more recruiting spots because I wasn't sure, so I just wanted to check with him if they did. At the time, they kind of had two because Cato was kind of up in the air, but obviously now it's one since he came back. And he said, you know, he said that they're recruiting heavily or something to that effect. I'm going to publish something really quick about them using that last uh, recruiting spot. The article may or may not come out for this podcast. (laughs) Um, He says we're recruiting heavily or, again, something to that effect. But he also said we're not going to use it just to use it. They're not just going to go out and pick some high school kid and say, all right, you're going to be our – backup or third-string point guard. They're only going to bring somebody in if they feel like he's going to impact the team. So we'll see if they find him.
0: Right, Which is a smart thing to do yeah. when you really don't have a ton of holes necessarily.
2: And, and they've brought in guys late. You think the recruiting period might be over? Mishiketa came in the dying yeah. moments of August. Great point. Just two months before the season, like a little over two months
0: before their season opener.
2: Great point. And he was there. You know, arguably their most impactful right. player last right. year.
0: Well, I mean, just the growth that he showed from that little amount of time that he had to work with the team, especially yeah. before the fourth season. I mean, that was something that you probably won't see with most players, honestly. Yeah, he was the most improved player from day one to day, whatever. Yeah. You know, huh. night, you know. day Columbus. <laughs> yeah, day Columbus, <laughs> Columbus. <laughs> Day. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So it was it, a massacre, just like a maybe what Columbus Day. <laughs> Look in the history books. Fitting. <laughs> Okay, that was probably a little harsh. It wasn't a massacre. Uh,
2: yeah, it was. It, at times it was, and at times it wasn't. Just right. it was back and forth, and then it was fourth, and that was yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyways, yeah,
0: I think I think that about does it for today. You think?
2: Yeah, it does. Yes, that's about all we got. There's there's so much going on. We didn't even get into football. We'll, yeah. We'll be into that into later episodes. Um, yeah. There's there's so much going on. Like I said, I I thought this was
0: going to be. A quiet offseason, and mm-hmm. it has not been at all. It's funny when your teams are actually, you know, pretty good. How how, how long the offseason stretches? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's insane. <laughs> all right, but yeah,
2: that'll wrap it up for us. Sweet. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. See you. So Marco, University of Virginia guy, he he has a ring, which is. Rare for a guy to have a ring on a Utah State team in most sports.
1: Jason, I want you to make that your research project, to go and figure out if a Utah State basketball player has ever had a national championship ring.
2: I'll, I'll have to see what I can find. <laughs> I'll see what I can dig up. I don't know.
1: I'd imagine this is a first.
2: Probably, because transfers probably didn't happen a whole lot earlier. In recent history, I'm not aware of any. So national championship experience—that's that's definitely a new thing. Uh, granted, it's not a whole lot because he played one minute in the tournament.
0: Who was that minute against? Uh, okay. Was it a key minute? Yes, it was definitely. A key <laughs> they put him
1: minute. in the at the very end of like a close game. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they
2: put him in. I Probably against like last, UMBC. Yeah, it was the last <laughs> game against Gardner Webb.
1: I mean, Gardner, yeah, Gardner Webb—that's who yeah, they played this he year. He was on the
2: team when they lost to UMBC, I believe, yeah. because he's going to be—he's going to be a junior. Yeah, I think. yeah. So He's He's been there for he's two played years. Played two years. I think he played more his freshman year
1: than he did his sophomore year. I think a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Minutes kind of- wise, I don't think games wise. I think he played more games his sophomore year, but yeah. more minutes yeah, per game his yeah. freshman year. Yeah, I
2: his stats so are funny. But, I mean, you can't really go by his college stats, really anything, because. In extremely light minutes, all of 222 across two seasons. That's way too many twos. Um, (laughs) So six and a half minutes per appearance since he's appeared in like 30 games, 35 games. And he's got like 52 points, 20 assists, 25 rebounds. You know, typical numbers for a guy who never steps on the court except for when it's a blowout. Or you're getting blown out, but I guess in Virginia that probably didn't happen too much. Except against UMBC.
0: (laughs) That one time against the six. You really team. keep bringing that thing back. Always. I wonder if
1: they, they put them in in garbage time they, of that game.
2: They, uh, <laughs> I don't know if Virginia actually yeah, What, what are you going to do, spark oh. a comeback at that point? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, they won the national title. And the thing I still remember Virginia most for is the fact that they lost to UMBC.
1: Yeah. Like it's just. That's how it'll go down.
2: Yeah. And I'll always remember that. Power to them. remember that I was alive and... Still young when somebody...
0: <laughs> I mean, that's more major. That's the first time that's ever <laughs> happened in the history of the tournament. Everyone oh, wins yeah. a, a, ch- a title every year. Yeah. That's never happened.
1: I remember talking to my dad at one point about, do you think that a 16 seed will ever beat a one? Yeah, yeah this and is a
2: conversation we've all had with somebody. Yeah, will never happen. And then it did. Like, it it come close to I remember Gonzaga came kind of close. And every couple of years, somebody makes it interesting. But then... That happened. But anyway, we'll talk about the Beside gap. the point. Yeah. You get off on random tangents. But again, why I say we shouldn't go off his college stats is if you look at his shooting stats, they're awful. But you kind of put those to the side because, again, limited minutes and he's just jacking up shots because it's the end of the game. So like 32% overall, 35 from three point, which is actually not that bad. And then 60% from the free throw line, which I don't know why he's shooting free throws if he's in garbage time
0: what they're doing. Fouls. Fouls to try and get yeah.
2: back in. Stop the clock.
0: Those scrappy Gardner-Webb players. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or whoever. He took 16, 15 free throws against Gardner-Webb <laughs> in <laughs> one minute. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, go ahead. So, Well, I was just going to say, so going back to, obviously there's probably not a ton of tape on him in college with the very few minutes that he's played, but have you watched any of the tape from him in high school or seen any kind of like resemblance of what his game might translate to when he gets eligible to play at Utah State? So I looked at his high school stats and I saw like
2: one or two highlight reels. I've not really dug super deep into him like I have some of the other recruits. He averaged, I think, was it 25 points in high school? Yeah, 25 points, uh, 10.2 rebounds and 3.7 assists in his senior season. And I think across his high school career, I think he was north of 20 points per game.
1: Yeah, you're, you're correct. So he um, in high school it was 20 I think it was 25. Yeah, 25 and a half points per game and 10 rebounds per game. Yes,
2: yeah, so that, that was a senior year and then I
1: think. <clears throat> oh, you're talking about throughout yeah. okay. Well, throughout bodies.
2: high school, he was like it was around like 18 or 20 his first couple years. I can I can't remember exactly. I looked it up.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, similar numbers lower just cuz you know he was a sophomore and junior then really turned up as a senior like you typically do. Um, the the only real concern I had with him is his point shooting percentage he shot 28.6 in high school um i don't know the volume i didn't write it in my article so it seemed like a decent volume for a guard i imagine probably two or three a game
0: i wonder if he i mean going to virginia and then obviously coming here to utah state both very defensive schools i wonder if that's mm-hmm. kind of like the key part of his game because as a guard if you can't shoot above 30 percent obviously you probably don't have a place on the court but with the numbers he put up and, you know, going to Virginia, getting recruited three-star, I'm wondering if maybe that's part of his game that, you know, will probably translate most over to when he gets on the court. Yeah, I get the
2: impression of these athletics. I did see some highlight reels. He's definitely more of a kind of get-to-the-basket guy. And you get, you know, 10.2 rebounds as a guard, you know, that indicates you're at least hustling after rebounds and you have the tools to get them. Right. Even in high school, you don't average that many rebounds as a guard without cause.
0: Um, this is something really interesting about him. So on the Virginia website, on his little bio, it says he chose Virginia over Boise State, Buffalo, Iowa State, Mercer, UTA, UTIP, and UTSA. Yeah, I remember yeah. I, I saw those,
2: didn't, he got Virginia randomly a really good school. Yeah. And
1: well, Iowa like, State as well. That's, yeah, Iowa State too. That's, bad, that's, uh, that's a great so program. He,
2: yeah, he had so Boise State decent program, Iowa State, and, always, and Buffalo was even not that bad. They made the tournament
1: this yeah, year. Yeah, Buffalo's a great team this they're,
2: year. Yeah, they're, they're not a bad program either. So, yeah, we got some good offers. He was a decently recruited kid, obviously. Um, so, I think he's a, a really good talent. He just got stuck behind a lot better players. Sure. I think the two guys ahead of him are both in the NBA now or on sure. their way to being in the NBA. So, it's not like he was benched without cause and that he's um, – he's, it's not saying he's worthless. He was just behind guys that were better than him.
1: Well, I think that just opens up the whole mystery crate of what's, what's this guy going to bring to Utah State, you know? A guy who three years ago scored 25 points per game in high school, what's he going to bring to a Utah State team that's coming off of a Mountain West championship? It's so hard to say where you don't have film from him for the last couple of years, and the film you have is from Garbage Time.
2: Yeah, and then the film before that is him playing against guys who are smaller exactly. and not as quick as he is. So it, it is definitely hard to know exactly what it will bring, you just kind of have to try and assume what you can from the limited highlights you have, or if you can find game film. So, yeah, like I said, you can assume a few things. You can kind of gauge his athleticism and some of his shooting, but you, we don't know if he's improved shooting-wise. Because then I mean, he shot better in college than he did in high school, but that could just kind of be him in garbage time. Right. You, well, know, you never really quite know.
1: Yeah, and I need to correct myself. I said, "What is he going to bring to to this team?" And of course, he's not going to play this year. He's got to sit, and then yeah, uh, it'll be the it'll be twenty 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 before he actually gets right. on the court. And at that time, you'll think about what Utah State is is going to be replacing, and obviously Sam Merrill will be gone by then, and they'll have a lot of turnover in the program then. So he could be a crucial part to to not necessarily a rebuild, but to a continuation of this team's success, which will be you know very interesting to see.
2: If he can bring numbers really anywhere close to his high school, obviously you'd think more in the range of being optimistic. You'd think like 17 points, five rebounds, and four or five assists. That's a pretty optimistic projected stat line, but that would do a lot to replace Sam Merrill, which is a lot of the conversation I saw on Twitter and other places where it's just like this guy could end up replacing Sam Merrill. Very similar in terms of obviously the position he plays. He's a shooting guard. And then he's a scorer. That's really his archetype. He's a – Looks like an athletic score, which is slightly different from Sam Merrill, but it's pretty much the same role. You're trying to be the primary scorer. And like you said, you're probably going to lose to because he's probably going to go to the draft and actually get drafted. Then Sam Merrill's gone, and then you're going to be dealing with Still a fairly young team at that
0: point. Well, right. kind of like you're saying, Jaden, how they're kind of almost looking forward to when they're losing those guys. He's one of the few recruits that they've had this offseason that isn't in one of those bigger positions. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of I think, kind of strengthening that depth area where they're going to be losing a lot of guys, like you're saying. You know, maybe it'll be somebody like him, able in the backcourt a couple of years from now. Sure. Um, but yeah, maybe even like a Barristo, depending on where he ends up on the
2: court. Yeah, that, that's a guy. We've talked about before that I think all of us are really excited about. I know, Jane, you're really excited about him. I think almost as excited as I am. Yeah. Just his I, I think he's going to do a lot of
1: stuff for Utah State.
2: He he could be part of the future, and him, maybe a, a pairing of him and uh, Anthony. You never know. It's hard to project these things too. Well, years. Well, and you'll have Brock
1: Miller around for a while. Yeah,
2: him too. I think if, if Brock Miller, I think I had expectations that were maybe a little too high for him in his freshman season. If he lives up to the expectations I have, he'd be an awesome player. Mostly just...
1: I'm expecting a big year from Brock Miller this year. Yeah, a definitely. really big year.
2: Yeah, there are times he struggled with three-point shooting, but if he hits a lot of those threes he makes, then he becomes an enormous contributor. So you have like you know three guards. Yeah. That are really good. We'll have to work on that the front court. After the <laughs> yes, quite the. <laughs> I
0: don't
2: know. I I I, hey, I raved about Kuba in there. Yeah, Kuba. I don't know. I, I said this earlier that I, I really love how he moves very well. For a guy who's reportedly seven foot two, granted he's also like 195 pounds, but he moves way better than I do. And
1: that's like if you stretched me out by like a foot, <laughs> that would that would be me.
2: Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> you need a, you need a foot in like two inches for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little little more than a foot.
2: Yeah, that's that's. I guess it'd be, he moves as well as some power forwards and even some small forwards, depending on the the small forward, but. He's a foot taller than a lot of them, (laughs) half a foot taller. So, yeah, there's 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 a lot of mystery with Marco Anthony, or at least a lot of we don't knows. In this case, although one thing, you know, to say about Craig Smith, he said he, uh, you know, I talked to him and I was asking about recruiting, and he he knew he had one spot left. He said, "We're not going to use it just to use it. We're only going to use it if we can bring in somebody who'll impact the team." And I kind of thought that they're they were going to try and bring somebody in for this team especially you look at point guard where they're pretty thin but they brought in a guy who's going to play next year which they didn't just hand this this scholarship out to him willy-nilly they feel like he's going to be good so you know i I trust craig smith enough based on his body of work so far so uh,
1: that's that's the biggest thing is you know a guy like this that we haven't seen play much and we don't know much about you know it's not the same case for craig smith he's seen enough to to offer him a scholarship and like you said he's not just going to offer it to anybody just to fill a spot you know it's clear that he sees something in this guy and that he he feels strongly about it and i I trust craig smith's evaluation a whole lot more than my own
2: yeah so we'll see how that goes we'll see if he can become part of the the next generation in the the post sam merrill era and I'm kind of afraid to say it, but it even could be the post-Craig Smith era if if things go too well this next season. <laughs> but anyway, that's all we got for, for Mark. That's Unless you guys